Hello and welcome to Weird Together, where we talk about the latest and greatest in independent horror. We're not critics. We're not experts. We're just weird. Together. I'm Brennan Storr, host of the Ghost Story Guys podcast. I'm Joseph Camo, host of The Cardinal Rule. And I am happy to be here back on our live stream. We're a week ahead of schedule because, Joseph, you you work like a grown-up. You have to travel. <laughs> and so we are here, uh, yes, yeah, seven days ahead of when we ordinarily would be. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Just doing that thing I do with, uh, you know, the job, the family, and, you know, this fun stuff we get to do together in terms of, you know, talking about films. So I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I picked up a little bit of a cold at the mm. Muse show I went to last week. I just sort of was browsing social media. The algorithm finally did something right and served me up an ad for something I wanted. I thought, oh, I would like to see Muse and Evanescence tonight for $65 for nosebleed seats. And some dirty bastard breathed his germs all over me. So I was, I was out of action for a few days. Uh, we also had Brandon Schecksneider on the Ghost Story Guys podcast, which as I mentioned, that's my main show. That's my day job, actually. And we, we had a little bit of a mix up with the timing, my fault. So because the daylight savings happens differently in the UK, uh, basically my co-host Paul, he, he, he arrived an hour later than we expected him to. So we spent five hours recording that episode. It was, uh, it was just a holy, t- I mean, it was a wonderful time, but it was mm-hmm. a long, long time to be recording a podcast. And at the end of it all, I just collapsed. And then just as I was about to fall asleep, I thought, I think I'm getting sick. And <laughs> sure enough, I was, but I'm better. I'm excited to be here with you. And of course, don't forget, this is now an audio show as well. So if you missed the live, you want to hear the, just the audio version, or you want to hear just the audio only shows, the, the most recent of which was released today, talking about the outwaters, which is a brown, a brand new found footage film. That's again, weird together on podcast platforms everywhere. But today we are here to talk about something very different and it is not necessarily a brand new film, but it relates to a brand new film. Joseph, we are here today, today rather to talk about the 2020 horror film reap town and reap town tells the story of Carrie, a recently released prisoner who is on work release and who ends up working the night shift as a security guard in a very visually interesting, but also terrifying railway museum while spending her days trying to find her missing sister. As Carrie's days are spent looking for her sister, her nights get longer and longer until she starts to realize something is very wrong and that she may not have quite as much time as she thought. Joseph, this, I think this is gonna be one of our shorter shows. I think you and I were saying we don't have quite as much to say about this one, but I really did enjoy it. And we're again, we're going to talk about why, but as we always say on this show, before you can talk about a movie, you got to acknowledge that you don't ever watch a movie just in isolation because you take into the movie theater or in this case, the living room, every movie you've ever seen the day you had all that good stuff. And so before we talk about the movie, you got to unpack the baggage. Joseph, my friend, what was your baggage going into Reap Town? Yeah, I didn't really have much. I didn't have any familiarity with the work of the, this filmmaker. I knew it was uh, going to be something maybe a little bit creepy, but not, you know, we've done the, a lot of found footage types of films. and It wasn't going to be anything like that. 
Um, you know, when you look at the cover art, maybe there's a little bit of reminiscent of the Bada Book or Baba Duke or whatever. I can't say the word, but the, <laughs> the going, film that everyone loves. Yeah. So, you know, you wonder if it's going to be anything like that, but really didn't have a lot of baggage going to other than that. Okay. So for me, a little bit different for me. I, the reason we're doing Reaptown is because the director, Dutch Marriage, I believe I'm getting his name, his last name right. He is someone whose work I've been following since last year when his first, well, not his first film, but when the film Horror in the High Desert was released. I think I rented it uh, as a random pick on Google Play, which I will sometimes do. Sometimes that's how I find movies for this for this show. I will just look at what's new and kind of let the vibes guide me. And sometimes that doesn't work as with the monster movie I was telling you about off air. Uh, but sometimes it does. And with Horror in the High Desert, it very much worked. It was uh, kind of a sleeper, little sleeper hit. It was a really, really good found footage film. And I saw a couple, about a week and a half ago, that the sequel was out, Horror in the High Desert to Minerva. So I rented it, and I thought, well, this would be perfect for the show, because I can make you watch Horror in the High Desert. I'll have someone to talk about it with, and we can watch the sequel. But watching it, one of two things occurred to me. One we had just done two found footage films. We did Mean Spirited mm-hmm. and The Outwaters, and I guess technically Skinamarink, if you want to be particular. Mm-hmm. And also, because there was a period where Minerva was not available in Canada, I had to rent it through a VPN and this Bobo credit card that I use with an American address. It's a real, it's a process. I have to really want to watch something to do this, and I really wanted to watch this. So I rented it through a VPN, which meant I had to watch it through a VPN which meant the quality was for shit. And consequently, it was really tough to, it it was tough to engage with it. Hmm. So it's now available in Canada. I've rented it again. I want to take another run at it because again, I like the first one so much. So we're, we're not talking about Minerva today, but I do encourage you to check that one out. Again, that's Horror in the High Desert 2 Minerva. It's available on Google Play, I believe Apple Street or Apple or iTunes as well. And as always, we encourage you to to pay money to watch these films because that's how independent filmmakers keep going. But yeah, so that, that was my baggage was I, I went into Reaptown knowing nothing about it other than, oh, I'm going to watch another film by Dutch Marriage because again, I enjoyed Horror in the High Desert. And there was stuff that I liked about Minerva, but again, because of the streaming stuff, I, I couldn't engage with it. So I thought, all right, let's let's give this a shot. So that was, I would say that was more or less my baggage going in. Nice. Real quick, want to say hey to Rin, who's here hanging out with us. Got the uh, comment in the chat a week early. I'm glad to see the post. Good evening, dear sirs. We appreciate you being uh, one of the folks who's with us every week. Uh, Rin, definitely appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rin's, uh, Rin's by this point is an old friend of mine. And I, I've told her before, it's always nice seeing her show up. Rin is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, always nice. it's nice having a friend like Rin in your corner. For sure. So. All right, my friend. We're going to talk about Reaptown. There's only one way we can do that. One place where men can be men and movies can be dissected. And that is the Toctagon. Welcome to the Toctagon. Two men enter. Two men leave. All right, Joseph. This, I believe I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark here, which is where I am. I don't know why it looks so fucking dark in here. 
This is why I make podcasts and not you, movies, you're filming the from the site of Reap Town. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fi- filming from the Northern Nevada Railway Museum in Ely, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what's going on. Anyways, it, it, I swear the room is not actually this dark. It looks like Halloween Town in here. But <laughs> anyways, I'm guessing I like this more than you did. Once again, you know me well. I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, there were things I liked about it, um, and you know, and, and I always. One of the things I talk about is I want to calibrate expectations in, in a way that's fair because this is an independent filmmaker who doesn't have a huge budget uh, and has certain constraints based on that. So I always look for what is the film doing well. And there were some things that it did well, but I think you did like it better than I did. Real quick, Jonathan R. saying, hey, guys, I've missed a few of these. Well, we're glad you're here tonight. So thank you for hanging out with us. Hey, Jonathan. And if you want to catch up, again, we're, a, we're an audio show now, too, and all the live streams are cleaned up and put into audio version at, uh, on our RSS feed. So you can find that in the show notes, uh, maybe not at the moment, but uh, you can find it if you go to weirdtogetherpod.com and you'll find links to, to everything there. Yeah. So, but yes, I, I think you liked it more than I did. Uh, but there were some things that I liked about the film though. All right. Well, so, let's, let's start with the reservations. Hit me with your best shot. Oh, oh, so you want the, you want the, we're going to go with this stuff I, that I didn't like as much. I think they relied a little too much on the site. I mean, the Nevada Northern Railway Museum where they shot was an outstanding site, had a lot of really neat, mm-hmm. freaky, creepy spaces to work with. It was really great for some of the panoramic shots. So it was a great location. I felt like there were points in the film where they leaned too much on let's make the camera go around the the you know, the creepy shadowy garage or, or whatever the space you want to call it and just let the creepy shadow scare us. And just something about that didn't, didn't work uh, at least not with as much as they did it. Maybe, you know, if, if it hadn't, maybe, maybe it was just, there was too much of it, you know, maybe right. if they used it a little more judiciously. So that didn't really work for me. The creature, the blood shifter, the points at which they introduced it just didn't have the impact I would have liked. Uh, they right. introduced it very early. might've been better to hold off on that. There were points where it just, it just didn't quite work the way it, as well as it could have uh, for me. Okay. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Again, I love the location. I thought it was mm-hmm. brilliant. I thought it was brilliantly lit. Mm-hmm. The film, it reminded me of, and it's, it's gone right out of my head, but, it, it, some of the third third person shots, which were just kind of a, behind her and above her shoulder, really reminded me of a video game. Mm, okay, it was yeah. kind of lit in that way, and and even some of the first person stuff was was a little bit like that. And in the beginning, it was really effective, and it reminded me also a little bit of Gonjam Haunted Asylum. Okay, you remember watching that one? Is that the one you recommended the Korean film? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it reminded me of that because there was a couple points where they were. There, there were pans where you would then it was slow pans where you think, mm. okay, when they pan back, there's going to be something and you start stealing yourself for that, that jump. And then it doesn't come mm-hmm. and that's almost worse Yeah, because now you don't know when it's coming. And I, I really like that, but yeah, as the film went on, I felt like there was, it was a bit too much and it almost felt, it almost felt a bit like vamping. Yeah. It felt a bit, a little bit like vamping, like a little bit like. Shit, mm-hmm. you know, we got to, we got this, just let's fill a couple more minutes because as we'll talk about in a bit, there was a subplot that I felt didn't really add much to the film, the reporter subplot. Mm-hmm. 
uh, there was a pix, uh, pardon me, a, a reporter played by the actress Pixie Indigo, who is doing a, a report or a, a, an expose or trying to do an expose mm-hmm. on this crooked prison release program. And that also, and we'll talk about that a little bit more too, because there's, there is some, some really interesting thematic stuff there, but that also, I felt like kind of didn't work and only really served to pad out the runtime. Mm-hmm. And so some of the shots you're, you're referring to the, the too many, I kind of think that was, that may have been part of the issue. I could, I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I, I want to le- le- uh, use that as a segue into one of the things that I liked, but I think they could have done leveraged better. Okay. Um, I liked the lore, right? The blood shifter and, and, you know, the, the person, uh, you know, uh, let's see, it was, his name was Warren Vern, right? The, the, the person that was supposed to have been the original, this blood shifter and, and all the lore about that was interesting. I, I think it was, you know, kind of unique. And I think the premise or the setup of this town that essentially has this dark secret and they use the, these kind of work release programs to essentially appease the blood shifter and keep it at bay. Right. They, it's almost like a sacrifice. And, right. and you know, there was that whole setup was really interesting and there was a lot of potential there. Right. So I, I liked the lore and this premise, but where that leads to another, I get, you know, critique is I, I, I wish they could have done that leaned into that more like the way it felt like was you have this 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 entity and you he's introduced early and you see you know you see the what's going on and there's a few mysterious phone calls but then all the details get kind of dropped in sort of an expedition dump uh you know via tape recorder right or um i would have loved to have seen some shots in the in the community where maybe the reporter is there right and is uh, Lauren was the character's name, I believe. Lauren is on site and she's having conversations with people there to try to kind of figure out what's going on. And they're evasive and and they're like, right, don't stick your nose and you know whatever. And sure. I would have liked to have seen more things that laid that out a little more gradually. And I think that could have made for a really neat film if, if there was more of those pieces. That uh, if you've ever seen. Uh, the film hot fuzz it's a little more oh, sure, comedy, yeah. right but there's this town and all of a sudden there's these little things and you're like oh and there's a lot of films that use that idea right where there's a, a dark secret in this small town that everyone in the town knows but the outsider is there and gets weird looks and i know they had a small cast and a small budget i understand that'd be difficult but it would have really been a i would have loved to have seen that version of this film Right. Yeah. I, that, and I, I definitely think that's, that's a, a fault of the film is that it, 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 the plot needs to be fleshed out mm-hmm. more, uh, in terms of the, you know, that may have been a scale issue Yeah. because I, again, the, uh, director's film, the dark hand, I think was budgeted around 150 grand. And if I had to guess, this is probably not that far off. Yeah. So that's nothing. You know, so I, I, I can imagine that getting additional cast may have been, may have been a challenge, but you're right. I, I think there more time could have been spent building out the idea. I mean, I will say marriage is good at world building, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's something I'm really seeing in Minerva. And that's something that I, I saw in the dark hand, you know, the strongest part about the dark hand, which, I mean, we're not here to, to break that one down, but it is the world he builds. Mm-hmm. And I think 
in a sort of a fun coincidence, similar to the Outwaters, I think Marich, just like Robbie Banfitch, is familiar with a lot of stuff. He's kind of our people in that, you know, he has these interest in paranormal topics. Mm-hmm. He's he's talking about building out um uh building out the horror in the high desert series into kind of its own little, you know, the horror high the horror in the high desert verse. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, you know, shadow people and things like this. So he's I think he's got a he's got a good head for lore. Nice. It's just that that execution. But again, that may be hamstrung by right by the budget. Because I mean Hot Fuzz was shot for eight million pounds <laughs> in yeah, two thousand six, yeah, yeah. right? So I mean that's which is actually not a huge budget as films go, but it's a lot more than this film had to work with, no doubt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, but again, I I, th- I think you're onto something there. Of the lore and of the, the idea of the sacrifice, I think that's one of the film's strongest elements, aside mm-hmm. from the cinematography. Uh, which actually let's, I just want to address that really quick. It's just how fucking good it looks mm. for a film that costs that little. Yeah. It looks great. And there was actually a drone shot mm-hmm. that I just adored. I just adored. I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a big letterboxed nerd. I, I don't really review movies on there. I just I do it for my own weird list loving reasons. But one of the thing I, if something really strikes me about a movie, I'll specifically mention it. And in this, there is a uh, there are a couple drone shots that follow Carrie as she's patrolling the the train mm. the rail yard, and the only lighting is her flashlight, mm-hmm. and it looks spectacular. I've never seen drone photography done that way at night in a movie before, mm-hmm. and it's it's simple, but for its simplicity, it's just really cool. I mean, right. again, maybe maybe I shouldn't be thinking, oh, that shot is cool. Maybe I should just be in the moment, but it was cool, and I feel it's it's worth mentioning. And again, the the use of shadow is is exceptional, but the sh- and this is something that, that he he did really well in uh, horror in the high desert as well. Is like the blacks are so black and so foreboding, and so uh, creepy. So mm-hmm. I, I think that is deserves special mention because again I was I was excuse me I was I was very impressed by that. Yeah, Rin says they must have used the money they did have in the right places, and I and I would agree with that. I mean, the, a very limited budget. They use, I'm sure, a bit of it on securing the site, right? You know, um, and the drone shots, which were good, and and, and some of the other things. So, uh, and I, I, yeah, I think the the drone shot you're talking about does this really great job of setting up just how alone she is out there. Yes. Um, but there was another drone shot that I liked for a different reason. And it was the opening scene, it, you know, so the opening with the, the panoramic shots and right. the eerie music. And what I loved about the opening is it was, to me, it was very reminiscent of 1980s era horror movies, right? You had the opening with, with the eerie music and the, just the car driving to drop off uh, her sister and just the panoramic shots. And it followed it for a while. And right. I, it just felt like a lot of the eighties horror movie, or at least some of them had those kinds of openings, something going on. You're not right. You're not dropped into the action. You're not necessarily introduced to the character right away. There's 30 seconds of something, someone driving or something. And the music in that opening and throughout the film yeah, very good. much felt like an eighties horror film. So, I wonder, you know, typically, uh, you know, filmmakers have a lot of intentionality in what they're doing, right? They make it come off as seem, you know, seamlessly, and we 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 just note it, and they were very intentional. So I have to wonder if, you know, Dutch was very intentional of of, the, of this, if this was sort of a love letter to '80s horror films in terms of how that was set up, or at least that element of it. 
It's 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 very possible. I mean, the guy the guy knows movies as you know a lot yeah. of most people who make films do. I know. I read an interview with him where he talks about he coming to filmmaking because when he was a kid, his dad took him to get a haircut, and on the table as they waited was this this coffee table book, and it was uh, you know how does it made the the alphabet of how it's made, and you know A is for ambulance and whatever, and then it got to M and M is for movie, and the picture was from an American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. And he said that this really sparked in him this this intense desire to know more about how these things are made. And he is he was born in eighty five, so he's two years younger than I am. So we kind of come up in that age where you're discovering things from the eighties. Mm-hmm. That is some of the things that to you they're these hidden gems. And especially growing up then, you know, it wasn't in a small town, no less. I, I don't think Ely's that much bigger than Revelstoke, uh, or pardon me, might even be a little bit smaller than Revelstoke. Or of course, for people who don't know, that's where I'm from. And so, you know, finding these things, it was, that was a big deal, you know, to find a copy of, you know, night of the demon or whatever, that, that was, that was tough. You know, you, you your, your local video store wasn't going to have all those cool ladies things. So it was much more a time when to find new things like that was a real discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's about 4,000 people, uh, Ely, which is so pretty small. Uh, I live small, in small, yeah. Revelstoke's about 7,500. So. Yeah, I, I uh, live in a community of about 17,000 people now. Uh, Sharona just dropped in, said, hey, guys, and says, uh, just finished the newest podcast episode, and now a live chat must be my lucky night. It's our lucky night <laughs> that Absolutely. you hung out with us. We appreciate you listening and hanging out, but uh, awesome to have you here. Uh, Brendy Lynn Webley says, this whole time I thought you were saying Rebel Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rebel, Rebel Stoke with a V. Yes. If you want to learn more about Revelstoke, a uh, strange little place revised edition is now available, right? Bren? It's true. You can get it at Amazon or if you want a signed copy, go to ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com or Dutch marriage. If you're listening, let me know. I'll send you a copy <laughs> just for making great movies. Yes. Yes. But what we were talking about, uh, oh, right. Ely, yeah. The, the, yeah. And 80s. Yeah. 80s, yeah. So it, it's very possible he was inspired by these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And uh, there's one little story he told that I want to share here uh, because I, it, it's similar to, again, to something I experienced where his discovering movies led to him watching the, I think it was 1995 film Copycat far too early. He was given, he was, he was caught watching with his sister in the living room mm. and he was given shit for it. And he ended up having nightmares because it's, it's a pretty intense movie. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's again, it's a serial killer uh, thriller with Sigourney Weaver and Harry Connick Jr. Uh, and I, I recently watched it again uh, for the first, or for the first time in a long time. And you know, it's, it's pretty good. But when I, again, I'm only about two years older than he is. And when I was roughly around that age, that was one of the few movies my mother said, no, you cannot watch this. Mm. So I, I too was forbidden from watching copycat until I was about 17 and yeah, and I get it. I get it. I mean, I'm pretty fucked up. I don't think it's copycat's fault, but we can't rule it out. <laughs> it, it might be part of the reason. Yeah. So yeah. One of the things, um, and maybe you can help me with this, Bren. I'm not sure if I got the ending. There's, oh, I tell you right now, I didn't get the ending. Either. Okay. Well let, then let me share with you my best interpretation Okay. And, and I don't know if I'm right. Okay. Obviously, you know, um, Carrie is being attacked by the blood shifter, right? Yep. Um, Warren Vern. 
And then we cut to Lauren, you know, is on the phone. And so like they're, they're, they're And, but then we also have a, you know, a new victim being dropped off with a note for parole. We get that. This is the next victim. It's continuing. But the part is like, okay, Lauren's on the phone with Carrie and she's like, you're coming to Las Vegas. Okay. Let me know when you're here. I will help you. I'm going to help you. I'm like, how are you going to help her? And did she survive the attack? And we see Carrie then kind of, you know, uh, hitchhiking with a little bit of maybe blood on her face. So, so my interpretation is I, from what I read that the blood shifter is supposed to be like a vampire, but not exactly a vampire. So maybe she is now a blood shifter who's going to go and hmm. Lauren, the reporter is going to be your victim when she gets to Las Vegas and it's spreading. It's like, it is now leaving the town via Carrie. And I'm not even all that confident in that interpretation but like how did but Carrie seemed to survive or at least some husk of her being that is maybe now also a blood shifter. If my interpretation's right, that's, that's the best I got. And I'm not all that confident in it. No, again, you did better than I did. I mean, okay. I, that was sort of my, yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my takeaway was that she is now one of these things or is carrying it with her. I mean, I, I think this is a good time to talk about some of the, the larger themes because we might be able to make a connection there. Mm -hmm. And of course, this this whole thing is a work release program. Right. She is a prisoner. Her and her sister were in dire economic straits. So they sold some drugs and they got caught. They, and at one point she says, we don't even do drugs. And now we have drug trafficking on our record. And again, that, that's something that happens, right? People get forced because of bad, uh, bad situations, situations that aren't, which aren't even necessarily their fault into taking these risks. And quite often they can, if they go badly, they can derail your life. Mm -hmm. And really the whole system is set up that way, right? Because prisons are, uh, so many of them in America are for profit now. So they have a vested yeah. interest in putting you there and keeping you there. And w oftentimes in prison where uh, pr prisoners are made to make things for I say slave wages only. I mean, it's, it's not quite accurate because slaves were not paid, but you know, you'll get pennies on the dollar for what your labor is actually worth in order to buy things in the commissary. But quite often the amount you have to work in order to buy anything in the commissary is it's, it's, it's ludicrous. You know, it's, it's not even third world wage. It's just insane because North America and sort of the capitalist system cannot survive without slave labor. But that's, that's another conversation with, which I'm probably not totally equipped. But anyways, so she is forced into the situation. Her and her sister both are sent to prison and her sister gets out a little bit ahead of her on this work release program, disappears, and then Carrie's released on the same thing. And I think it's sort of notable that the, it is women who are being sentenced to this. And sure, you could just say that's for the sake of the plot because, you know, it's a woman in danger. People seem to respond to that more. And certainly, you know, watching, you know, Carrie's a lot prettier on screen than say me, but more, I, I think too, it's, it's women are so often sacrificed in our society, you know, these, cause these women are literal sacrifices to the blood shifter. And quite often in the world, women are expected to do this invisible labor, which these women are doing as night shift guards and to, to sacrifice. And, and sometimes quite literally, especially in, in the modern era in, in America, where so many reproductive rights are being repealed. Women are being forced to sacrifice their bodies, their futures, 
and this is just something that's that just happens in the dark and and i mean now it's happening in the light there's nothing still being fucking done about it but mm. but i think that that is I, again i don't think that's accidental i think he i think marriage is uh an intelligent guy and i think that was probably a very intentional choice which makes me think that her getting away maybe that is maybe if we can interpret that as you know the trauma you you eventually take that with you like maybe this mm. maybe the system doesn't break everyone but it damages them all the same interesting yeah on on a side note you mentioned you know the the prison industrial complex incarceration system have you seen the film 13th it's a documentary Okay. This is a little bit of an aside, but, uh, you know, I, I teach sociology and one of the areas I teach about is things having to do with race, ethnicity, inequality, and things like this. And there's a documentary called 13th. that was put out a while back. It's, it's been out for a number of years. Uh, it was on Netflix. In fact, last time I checked, if you go to YouTube and go to Netflix's YouTube channel, you can watch it there. They they feel it's such an they felt it was such an important documentary that they made it available for free on their YouTube channel without having to have the paywall. Uh, and it covers how the Thirteenth Amendment allow became this provision for when basically slavery was abolished. It was sort of this this backdoor way to create continued slavery. And the Thirteenth Amendment, of the Constitution. I'm going to just real quote. This is a constitutional class. No, uh, real quick. <laughs> it, it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except this is the the the, the rub right here. Except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. So anyway, it basically created this. Slavery is not allowed unless it's a punishment for a duly convicted crime sure. so obviously yep. you talked about the, the 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 new form of slave labor and, and the prison industrial complex and, and you know when that was ratified created that 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 amendment it was very much one of those intentional or the, sort of okay slavery's been abolished well we'll just make up you know bullshit convictions and crimes and yeah you know that that was really for a lot of people the intent so what you're talking about there, there anyway, the documentary is great. Watch it when you get a chance. Was that was that an Ava DuVernay film? I have it I in my head. Maybe that she might have been involved with that. Not, it's not relevant. That's fine. I think so, actually. Yeah, because uh, DuVernay is one of those filmmakers who just is consistently making it engaging yep, stuff. It is. Yep, that's written by Ava DuVernay. Yep. Okay. That's, yeah. So anyway, that point is resonant, and, and then but then you add to this what you're talking about in terms of. Yeah, you know, women often being laid at the altar of so many things in society and history, and and so you know, it, it's 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 not it's an it's an interesting note to, and I wonder if it is indeed sort of a commentary to have that as part of the plot. I mean, I think the fact that the ghost is a man mm -hmm. is is you know is relevant to that, and the fact that there are several scenes where these guests or pardon me guests these guards are are lured by the sound of a crying baby mm, right and that is obviously that's a part of the of the domestic struggle you know the women again doing invisible labor where they're they're raising kids they're subsuming their own desires in order to perform a role set out for them mm. that it really you know they maybe they want which you know that that is and if they do that's wonderful but quite often they don't but you are even so relegated to that role. You know, th th this is sort of off to the side, but 
I, it just as an example of this, I, and this is you know, Uncle Brent's going to talk a little bit about <laughs> south of the border folks. So you wanna, may want to plug your ears. But, you know, I had a vasectomy in 2021 because I would be a terrible father and my wife doesn't want kids. So I thought, all right, well, you know, we're just get it, just finally just nut up <laughs> yeah. and get it done. And in order to do that, I had to, I had to get a referral from a doctor first. So I, I put everything in place. I, you know, I, I made the call and the first thing the doctor said to me was, well, why don't you just get your wife to take birth control? And I said, I'm sorry, we're, we're talking about me, me, my balls, me. And they said, well, yeah, but you know, and, and I, there, there was a reason why that wasn't, that wasn't an option and I, and I shouldn't have even had to explain it, but I explained it. And they said, oh, well, there are other kinds of birth control. Tell your wife. To, and I'm not telling my wife anything for fuck's sakes. She's not on the call, man. Mm. But it just, it was this great reminder that, and the doctor was, was a woman. Mm. And so there's this internalized misogyny, this, this birth control is a woman's problem. Well, no, it's fucking not. I mean, you know, obviously she, she can make her choices for what she wants to do, but I am just as, I am just as much a part of that calculus. And this is a decision I'm making for myself and for her. But mm -hmm. they, they were just, they, no, they just wanted to put it entirely on her. And so, I, again, I think the, the, the fact that the ghost is a man, the fact that there's a, the babe, there's a crying baby that they're being lured by, to me, I, I, I think that's the little subtle tells that, that we're dealing with. Yeah, it's a little bit allegorical. That makes sense. That makes sense. Who's a sociology professor now, Jay? Hey, listen, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you have, you have in, in technically, uh, lectured in a sociology course. So that's true. And I, I am, uh, I am an alumna, alumnus, alumnus of NYU. Don't ask me how much I took there. <laughs> Don't ask me whether or not someone else paid for the course for me, but I am tech NYU is my alma mater. I get to say that now. Right. Jonathan R says, get him that MA. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, and then Sharona says in the U S I have heard stories where women, when they requested a sterilization procedure, were told things like, well, what if your husband wants to have a child? Yep. Yeah. And that's happened here too, Sharona. That's uh, I've, I've heard those stories from, uh, from friends who have gone for tubal ligations and been told, well, you know, and they'll, they'll even say, well, my partner, we don't want kids. And they'll say, well, what about your next partner? If, if it doesn't work out, who, what, who gives a shit? You know, we'll, we'll order one from wish. I don't know. <laughs> Just do what I say. You stupid bastards. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to maybe give one caveat to that. I, I understand wanting to with, with something that such an important decision, maybe at least making sure you're sure, but, but your, your I mean, point I, still I, stands though. I think it's good to ask, but mm -hmm. to, to block access, which yeah. I, I've actually had happen. A friend of mine in the UK, mm. he, uh, he went for a vasectomy and he's tried many times and they just tell him, no, just, mm. just no, because maybe you want to have kids. Motherfucker, we have enough kids, you know, <laughs> we have enough kids. There's enough. You ever go to a Chuck E. Cheese at midday? Well, don't tell my parole officer, but if it's busy is what I'm saying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Adopt, don't shop. Does that work? Here? <laughs> yeah, man, it does. It does. Yeah. I, I, and they don't make that shit easy. I mean, we're getting far away from the film here. Sorry, Dutch, if you're, <laughs> if you're listening, but, um, I actually, I have some friends who they want to adopt 
and they asked me to be one of the references. So I, I had to fill out a bunch of paperwork for them. And, and you know, it's substantial. They don't fuck around. My These wife gals. used to work for an adoption agency. She's oh, a therapist. So doing some, uh, just working with the, with the, the adoptive parents and children in, in, in certain capacities. So I've heard a little, it, 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 there's a lot to it. There's a lot of hoops. There are hoops both from the agency and if you're and then the government agencies that are involved. And then if you're adopting internationally, which is where my wife did a lot of her work with international adoptions, then the, the, the government's, you know, the host governments from where the child is from. Right. Of it, course. It's a lot of red tape and there's some, there's some interesting problematic things that I could, I'll share with you off air sometime. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this would be even tougher if the, my friends lived in the States because they're a same sex couple. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know that's becoming a much more fraught situation down there. Yeah. You know, yes. among many, many other things as you guys slide further and further back into the dark ages, boy, I'm glad I live a two hour drive from your border. That's not going to go bad. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan saying, well, they want to make sure the children will be taken care of in the end. Yep. And the, yeah, there, there, obviously there's good reason to, to make sure and be, oh thorough, yeah. So. Yeah. I believe me. I, I, I don't mind at all filling out all that paperwork. You know, I, uh, again, it's, it's important because these kids are already coming from a circumstance that is not great. We don't want to put them somewhere where they're not going to be safe. Yeah. And, and Sharon says, I'm a huge supporter of adoption. I was adopted and knowing what I know about my birth mother, she was a friend of my parents. It's the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah. And absolutely. Um, yep. and yeah. my, my father was adopted. My maternal grandfather was adopted. Absolutely. You got, yeah. it's, it's all about taking, taking the best possible care of the kids. Absolutely. So, so, and, uh, we've moved a little bit away from the film here, Joseph. We were, <laughs> we were but we were talking about Reaptown. Uh, I mean, I think we've covered the, 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 really the stuff that we wanted to nail down. It was really the, the themes of, of women kind of doing all this invisible labor and being sacrificed to men and mm -hmm. babies was sort of the, the, the biggest, my biggest takeaway from it. But I, I just want to say again, how much I enjoyed the cinematography mm -hmm. and it, to encourage our listeners to watch horror in the high desert and horror in the high desert to Minerva. Because again, I think if you, if you like this kind of micro budget indie stuff, it is, th these are sterling examples of it. Yeah. But did you have any other thoughts? I just, just want to say if, if the director happens to ever catch this, uh, please know huge amount of respect for anyone who puts in this effort. There were some really nice things that you did. So, uh, whatever critiques I might levy, please know they, that they come also from a place of respect and appreciation for, for, uh, what I'm sure went into making this film. Yes. I times that by two. All right. So, uh, that is everything we have to say about Reaptown. And of course, like I mentioned, this one is streaming for free on Tubi. Tubi is available in Canada, the U S I was listening to an interview with, with, uh, Merit earlier. He was saying it's also in I think New Zealand and Australia. Uh, if it's, if you're not one of those places, pretty sure you can rent it. I think in the UK, it might be available on sky TV. I'm not hundred percent on that, but frankly, just use a VPN and watch it on Tubi. Yeah. They'll make money from ad revenue and you're still watching it legally. And we always say on the, on this show, please do not pirate independent films. Independent films are made on razor thin margins by people who have sometimes more passion than, than rent money. Mm -hmm. And so respect that effort, respect the work. It's only if you, again, if you can't get it on Tubi, if you got to rent it, it's only like four or five bucks. 
it is worth your money and your time to support these things. Cause if we don't pay for independent film folks, there won't be more of it. And so that we always like to remind people of that on this show, if you're going to pirate shit, which we don't recommend you do, but if you do do it to a Marvel movie, they can afford it, <laughs> but don't do it to independent film. So again, you can find reap town streaming for free on Tubi and we encourage you to check it out. And I'm told by my friend Joseph that he has something for a little segment we like to call the boost. The boost is where we recommend a film that isn't something we're going to talk about on the mainstream, but is still something that we would like you to see. And this is, yeah, this is a place where we do that. So Joseph, you have the floor. Yes. So I am from originally from Arizona, although my career has brought me to Georgia. Um, so I'm from the U.S. Southwest, and when I was a teenager, um, I had heard of the lore of the Yadrona, right? Uh, you know, it's very much in, in uh, you know, Latino cultures, uh, the weeping woman, and, the, and there's, there's, there's the original kind of story of it, but like many kind of folklores, it evolves, and it, it's had many iterations. But I've always been fascinated because it was just something I was familiar with. And there was a film I watched. It's the 2019 film called the Yorona, not to be confused with the curse of the no, Yorona. No, do not, not watch that one. That one. No, no, not that one. Um, you know, it's, it's a Guatemala, Guatemalan film directed by Jero Bustamante. And it's, it's a kind of a new take on the Yorona story, which, you know, the, the, the Yorona story, if you're not familiar with it, a, a woman um, is jealous in a fit of jealousy at her because her husband is cheating on her. She kills her children, drowns them in the river. And then when she realizes what she does comes to her senses, she kills herself. And then now, you know, the folklore is that if you hear a woman crying for her children, it's Yadron and, sh- and it's, you know, it's, it's like most folklore. It's a modern morality myth that is intended to give messages like don't stay out too late or the Yadron is going to get you that kind of thing. But the, fi- the the film takes a different approach to it. Um, it is not the same lore, and it is it revolves around this really interesting and heartbreaking story of a general who's sort of a war criminal. And I won't give away too much more of it, but um, it it revolves around that and indigenous peoples of Guatemala and a genocide. And the film was shot beautifully. I mean, the the cinematography, the lighting. The acting is amazing. So this is a film I, you know, it's on shutter and, uh, I really liked this film a lot. And for our listeners or viewers, I guess I should say, I've dropped a link to the letterbox page for this particular version of La Llorona. And so just to make sure you get the right one, do not watch curse of, because that <laughs> is not a very good movie. Right. But as Joseph said, that is streaming on shutter. Uh, for me, since we're doing a boost. I would like to recommend to everyone The Silent Forest. The Silent Forest is a 2022 German film. It is about a young woman who is working as a forestry intern in the Bavarian woods when she starts to suspect that her father's disappearance 20 years before may have been more than just some kind of strange accident. And I like to say that only the Germans could make a mystery film that hinges on soil composition, but 
it is it is a really good film. It's Germany's been there's a few decent movies like this out of Germany lately. There was one called Sleep, which was really effective, and there's this one which deals with some truly horrific historical events. Which you know we're talking about Germany as is, you know, I'm sure you can figure out what those are, but it is a very powerful film. Uh, okay, not very powerful film. It's a good film. It's not a great film, but it's it's worth your time. That is rentable on Google Play and all the other platforms, and I will drop a link to that in the comments as well. But again, that's yeah. The Silent Forest. One of my favorite tel- series on Netflix, Dark, is produced. Of course. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and wasn't uh, they had another one? 1899? That was, that was, yeah, with uh, it had Jan Gael from Saloom in it. Yes. Unfortunately, the, it got canceled after the first season, um, but as I did Netflix watch it. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, they, they do that sometimes, but yeah, but it was really well done. Uh, I, you know, I think it, it was disappointing. The viewership wasn't better, but it was, it was done very well. And it, so hopefully it'll, maybe it'll, someone else will pick it up. But yeah, a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of good cinema and, and film and television shows coming from all across the globe. I know it's been happening for a while, but it just feels like there's a, more of a democratization, you know, with, with, yeah tools being more accessible and you know we when we reviewed salome it was just such a magnificently done film um you know so yeah absolutely yeah there's been i mean netflix has been really as much as i like to bag on netflix for their algorithmic filmmaking they have been instrumental in bringing a lot of uh, a lot of indian cinema to north america you know there's the film the the this rohit is it Rohit Shetty? He's cop universe films uh, like Surya Vanshi. I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but those were all available in North America because of Netflix. Triple R, which has become a massive worldwide success and is a ton of fun. That really is in the public consciousness again because of Netflix. And Prime has been getting into the game. I know they've got War on Prime, which is um, it's an Indian action film. They've also just got Pathan, which I think is Shah Rukh Khan. And I, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently it's fantastic. It's it's an action film. Very, very good. Uh, and one other film, since we're talking about Indian films, we're in the boost. Another one called Tumbad. And I will drop a link to that in the show notes once I find it. It is an epic Indian horror, uh, historical horror film released in 2018. I loved it. And I'm going to drop that again in the comments for our, uh, for our viewers, listeners. If you're listening to the audio version of this, I try to put links to all the movies we talk about in the show notes. So just check that and you will find it there. But again, that was Tumbad, uh, a really great historical horror film from India. Ah, <sighs> all right, Joseph, I guess that's going to do it. Yes. All right. So all the music in this show was created by the revenants. The revenants are a project of Elliot Wilder. Elliot is a musician based out of Boston, Massachusetts. You can find all of his music at therevenants1.bandcamp.com or streaming on platforms everywhere through Night Harvest Recordings. Night Harvest Recordings is actually the Ghost Story Guys house record label, which I bet you didn't know we had. But again, you can find that on streaming platforms everywhere. Our theme song is Rest in Peace from the album Music from Big Beige. And again, that is also by The Revenants. And uh, yeah, a big thanks to everyone who joined us. Yes. Thank you for everyone in the chat. Everyone who watches this later. Thanks for Rin for being here every week. Uh, Thanks for all the comments. We definitely appreciate all of you. Yes. And again, our episode, the outwaters is available on the RSS feed. 
You can send us an email at weirdtogethershow at gmail.com. And our website, which is still forming, but the, the link is active, is weirdtogetherpod.com. Sharon asks, how does one reach the two of you uh, of what should one need to spout theories about the film? Uh, Twitter or email, right? Uh, Bren just mentioned the email address or uh, our Twitter accounts will be uh, in the show notes in the description. So yeah, send us, tweet us, email us. We're glad to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm at Largely the Truth on Twitter and Instagram. Joseph? Yeah, I'm at J-O-K-O-M-O-13, Jokomo13 on Twitter. And again, weirdtogethershow at gmail.com or weirdtogetherpod.com because some son of a bitch took weirdtogetherpod at gmail.com. <laughs> that bastard. I know, and right? uh, speaking of bastard, Brent, you mind reading bastard. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's nice to be loved. Yes, yes, yes. All right, folks. Thanks so much for being here. And we will be back. Well, we, we're on a two-episode-a-month format now, so the next live show will be at the on the last Wednesday of April. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but we'll announce that uh, at some point uh, prior to that. And keep your eyes out for an audio episode two weeks before that. And until next time, remember, we're weird. And you're weird. So why not be weird? together. Thanks guys. Let me run.